The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. I'm going to tell everybody a story, okay? In, in Matthew 13, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that's hidden in a field. And, and a man searching for the treasure, when he finds it, the Bible says, that he goes and sells all his has. And, and here's the deal. It says, in his joy, he does it. Like he was excited to go and sell all that he has in order to possess the treasure. Uh, Later in Luke 15, uh, there's these tax collectors and these sinners that uh, have come to Jesus. And you know, uh, the people who are grumbling are the religious leaders, right? The churchgoers. And and they're grumbling because Jesus is accepting these sinners and these tax collectors. And and Jesus, he turns to them and he tells them a story. And he says, listen, which one of you who has a hundred sheep and you lose one of them, Which one of you would not leave the 99 and then go find the one? And then when you find it, you would put the sheep on your shoulders, head back, and then call all your friends and neighbors and say, hey, what was lost is now found. You need to celebrate with me. And Jesus says in the same way, there's more celebration in heaven than over one sinner, one person who repents, than over 99 people who who need no, no repentance. And then he goes on and he says, imagine a woman who has 10 coins and then she loses one of them. Would he not light the lamp and and search the whole house until she finds it? And then when she finds it, would she not call all her friends and neighbors together so so that they could celebrate with her? Because she would say, what was lost is now found. And then the third story is a, is a father who has two sons, and one of the sons takes his inheritance, and he runs away, and he does uh, what the Bible calls reckless living. He squanders all of it, and then the Bible says that he actually stops in his wandering, empty and broken, and turns around and heads home. And what does the father do? He receives him, he runs out to him, he embraces him, and then he throws this epic celebration because he says, what was lost is now found. What was dead is actually made alive. And so here's the deal. Is there's treasure in this box. Let's see what this is. Oh, look, it's a new heart for you. <laughs> a very, very soft new heart. That says te amo, which means I love you. Uh, this is actually my daughter, so I'm going to take that back from you. <laughs> but I am going to give you 100 grand. How's that? Yeah. Congratulations. Go ahead and have a seat. Give her up. I think there's actually 600 grand in that package. Here's the deal. Jesus is saying, listen, he says, I'm the one who would leave everything to seek and to save the lost. Jesus is saying, he says, I'm the one that would come and light a lamp and search the whole land for something that is so valuable until it's found. Jesus is saying, I'm the one that actually beckons you and and wants you to turn from your ways and actually come home. In Matthew 13, Jesus is the treasure that's in the field. Jesus is the treasure, but also he's the one that forsakes everything so that we could possess it. He's the one that in his joy would lose everything so that we could have him. Hebrews says that it was, it was the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. Now, we don't think of the cross as something that's joyful, but God says, listen, I am paying the ultimate sacrifice so that you can have the ultimate treasure. That's me. 
In my joy, I would, I would forsake it all. And see, here's the deal. There are two main obstacles to us knowing and enjoying God forever. Two main obstacles. The first is there's a problem is that God is pure, God is holy, and God is righteous. And the problem is, is that you're not. You with me on that? So God is righteous, God is holy, and we are guilty and, and blameful. And so the problem is, is that there is a separation between a holy, right, just God and those who sin against him. And so we're all guilty sinners, and God being a right, just God, if we're guilty, that doesn't make the judge God my friend, it actually makes me his enemy. And so if I were to stand in my uncleanliness in the presence of a holy, right God, listen, I would get incinerated. That is, a, that is an epic problem. And so as a guilty enemy of God, I cannot stand in God's presence. So not only am I an enemy of God because of my sin, but there's another obstacle. It's the other obstacle is that I don't find God all satisfying. Thank you very much. Right? Not only is God hostile towards sin and sinners, but I am also hostile toward God. See, the Bible says that our hearts are dark. And so when you think about this problem, why would you want to spend eternity with a God that you're not fond of? Right? I mean, why would you want to spend eternity with a God that you honestly don't like? I mean, have you ever spent five minutes in the room with a Cub fan? I mean, it's horrible, isn't it? I mean, you win one World Series and you're blah, 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 like you're the best team. Oh, my gosh. Like, you can't even spend that time with them. I mean, why would you want to spend eternity with something like that? And so, so here's the deal. The Bible says our hearts are dark. We naturally do not see God as enjoyable. We naturally don't see God as supremely desirable. The Bible says that we love the darkness rather than the light. It says that the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. So when we look at God, that's, that's foolish. Oh, but I love God. It doesn't make any sense. In fact, without God stepping in, I would prefer everything other than God. Without God interceding, I would look for everything to satisfy me rather than him. And so here's the deal. There's two problems. And if you overcome the first problem, you remove the wrath of God towards sinners. To overcome the second problem would, would mean it would make me following him a joy and not a burden. So the problem is not only is God hostile toward me, but I'm hostile toward God. And those are the two problems. Now, here's the good news. The good news is that God himself overcomes both problems. It is God himself who steps in and helps with both of the obstacles. See, God pays the debt of our sin through the blood of his only son, Jesus Christ. And so there is a wrath that is being stored up for sin and sinners, and Jesus comes and absorbs the wrath of God upon himself so that you and I, as guilty, can be presented as not guilty. Now hear me. That's good news. But not only are we not guilty, the Bible says that we are actually been made righteous now. Those are two different things. So not only am I not guilty because Jesus absorbed the wrath of, that I deserve upon himself, but now God clothes me with his righteousness. And he says, 
clean, blameless. Here is your crown of righteousness for those who would believe. And so God, through Jesus Christ, absorbs the wrath of God so that I can stand in the presence. So now, since his wrath is removed, I'm no longer an enemy of God. He's my friend. He, he actually delights in me. I know that's hard for some of you to believe, but when you're in Christ and God looks at you, he actually likes you. He enjoys you. Listen to Romans 5. Romans 5, 6 through 11, it says this. It says, for while we were still sinners, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person one might dare to die. But God shows his immeasurable, great, deep love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified, that's cleansed, by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. That's what Jesus does is absorb that wrath. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. And even more than that, we also rejoice in God that through our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we now have received reconciliation. This word reconciliation, it just simply means to put back together what was broken, to bring peace where there once was hostility. And so now, through the blood of Jesus Christ, there is no more hostility for a sinner like me. There's only grace. There's only reconciliation through faith. And so that's what Jesus accomplished. But now, here's the problem, is that there's a second obstacle. So God's hostility toward me is absorbed. What about the other problem, my hostility toward God? What about me not liking God? What about that problem? Romans 8, 7 says, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. You cannot make yourself love God because we love darkness. And so here's the deal. We do not by nature enjoy God. We enjoy pleasures that come from God, but not God himself. So... If we are to enjoy God through Jesus Christ, God needs to do more than just simply absorb the wrath for us. God needs to do a miracle in us. And this is the promise of the new covenant. This is a treasure of receiving a new heart. This is what it means when when God says, I will take out your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put into you a heart that genuinely desires and enjoys me and enjoys my word and follows me. That's what God does. Listen, that is not something that we do by going to church. It's not something that we can muster up. It's something that God does in us through his spirit. And so God is going to have to change radically my emotions and my desires, which is precisely what he promised that he would do. Not only does God absorb the wrath, but he gives me a new heart so that I would genuinely enjoy him. And more today than yesterday, amen? 
Like it starts here, but then his, his, my love for him continues to grow as I see him and I watch him and I hear him and I study his word and I see his compassion and his reconciliation for me. My love for him begins to grow and I see him as not burdensome. I see him as a delight. So much so that I would be willing in my joy to get rid of everything to follow him. In my joy, I would be willing to forsake everything so that I could have him. Listen, being brought back to God in Christ forever is totally free. It was completely bought for us by the blood of Jesus. Listen, no one can buy the friendship of God. There's not enough work. There's not enough enough religion. There's not enough things you can do to somehow buy God's affection And listen, there's nothing that you can do that would somehow create in you a new heart. God has to do that. So the point of Matthew 13 and the treasure is not that we pay for what Jesus already paid for. The point is now when we see him, we prefer his kingdom more than anything else. And we would be willing to forsake it all to have him. Now, what I want us to do today is very simply help you understand how this works works. How does this work? All right, so go to Acts chapter 2. Um, we're going to be in three, three verses today. That's all we're going to cover is three verses. In Acts chapter 2, we see these people gathering together 50 days after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So Jesus raises from the dead, spends 40 days, right, hanging out with his boys, all right, ascends into heaven, and these guys are waiting for the promised Holy Spirit. They receive it, and all of these people, 50 days afterwards, day of Pentecost, all these people are gathering together. And Peter stands up, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and preaches Christ and him crucified. He says, this is the gospel. There's two obstacles, God's hostile toward you, absorbed on Christ, and your hostility toward God. That's going to be solved here in a minute. He says, listen, this is Jesus. Receive this by faith. And the people hearing the message, look at what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 37. Let's start in 36. 36. It says, this is Peter. He says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucify." So he just preaches the gospel straight to him. Now, verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That's what God does, is when you hear the word of God, it cuts you to the heart. And when it cuts you to the heart, they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Everyone say, what shall we do? I hope you're asking that question today. I hope you're looking to God and saying, God, what, do, what should we do? And so these brothers, they're cut to the heart, and they're asking, brothers, well, what should we do? Verse 38, and Peter said to them, repent. Everyone say repent. Repent, repent and be baptized. Say be baptized. be baptized. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Everyone say Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone, everyone, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. Now listen, because we can so 
easily miss the power of these three verses. So easily, because so many times, if you've been brought up in church, you know, so many times we just want to analyze. We just want to question. We just want to, we just want to just talk about the text rather than actually doing what it says to do. We, we, we like, to, we, we like to, to take it completely off and miss the whole point. See, the first sermon that Peter preaches, he says, listen, here's Jesus, and he died for you, and he rose for you, and the people, they're cut to the heart for that, and they say, okay, what do we do? And he just simply says, listen, just repent and be baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what they say. They say, what do we do? Well, Jesus died, Jesus was, was, was crucified, and Jesus rose again, so what do we do now? And he very simply says, repent and be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. But you know what the church likes to do today? We, we, we like to say, well, what about, like, or, I mean, does it mean that I need to repent, and then I need to be baptized, and then I'll receive the Holy Spirit? Or, or we say, can I be a Christian without repenting? Can I, can I be a Christian like without being baptized? Or can I be a Christian without actually receiving the Holy Spirit? And it really, like, when do you actually receive the Holy Spirit? I mean, is it, is it like before I repent or like as I'm, or, or maybe do I receive the Holy Spirit when I'm in the water, like right before I come out? Or, or, or when, I mean, or do I need the Holy Spirit in order to do that? Or, or what if, what if, let's just say, let's just say that someone was on their way to being baptized. They tripped and fell, hit their head, and they landed halfway in the water, halfway out of the water, dead. Do they go to heaven? That's what we do. Why do we do that? We, we like to debate and we like to question. But listen, when these people hear the gospel, that Jesus came to die, to unify them back to God, and that through the blood of Jesus, anyone, everyone, he says, every one of you, repent and be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. These people, they heard the truth, and they asked one question, what do we do? That's all they ask. They didn't ask any questions after that. Okay, what do we do? Repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit. That's what they said. And you know what they did? They repented, and they were baptized, and they received the Holy Spirit. I mean, I know that's crazy, right? I mean, I know, I know just simply following what Jesus tells us to do is crazy. But that's exactly what they did. And some of you, you think the point of being a Christian is just simply to become a, a theological scholar. Let me tell you what it means. Or, or you think that, that your job as a Christian is to just simply go to church and, you know, be an upright good boy and clean yourself up. Rather than doing what the Bible says to do. We make something so basic, so complicated. And we come with all these compl complicated questions. But what if? Now, asking questions isn't bad. Asking God, God, what do you want me to do? That's a great question, right? But let us not miss the obvious. Repent, be baptized, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's simple. Some, some think it's not necessary. 
They, they think, I mean, can't I just do one of those? Do I have to do like all three of those? Do, I mean, and what difference does it make? I mean, do I actually have to repent? Do I actually have to be bad? I mean, I mean, honestly, I mean, really, do I have to do what he tells us to do? Listen, if you remove any part of this, you really miss out on the work of God in your life. What would happen if the church just stopped debating and stopped questioning and just simply followed what God told us to do? What would that church look like? What would those people look like? Like, what kind of power would that church have? What if we really just repented and were baptized and received the gift of the Holy Spirit? Let me, let me explain to you what it means. Let's start with the word repent. He says, repent. Now, now this word repent, it literally means to turn around. This Greek word, it's teshuva. It actually means to return or to come back. All right? It literally means to do a 180. So I'm facing this direction, I'm going this direction, and I'm turning around. That's what the word repent means. And so here's the deal, is you are going your own way, you are following your own desires, you are following your own life, right? You are doing what your heart, wicked heart, wanted to do. You saw Jesus, you heard Jesus is Lord and Savior. You are cut to the heart. And in that moment, you stopped and you said, oh, I want to go this way now. I want to follow Jesus now. I see Jesus now. I want to be with Jesus. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. So you stop going one direction, and you actually turn around and go the other direction. Now, most of the time, instead of turning and repenting, what we've been told to do as a church is just pray a prayer. I'm going this way. Oh, stop. Pray a prayer. Keep going. Is that what we're told? Just simply, just simply pray a prayer. It could be a prayer of forgiveness. Yeah, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm going to keep going. That's what we've been told. We don't understand the repentance thing. We just simply want to just pray a prayer and ask Jesus to follow us. Now I've got Jesus with me. I prayed a prayer. I'm still going this way. Jesus is with me. No, he says repent. Turn around. Follow Jesus. Some of you, maybe, maybe you prayed a prayer and you kept going in the same direction and you're wondering, where's Jesus in my life? He's in that way, y'all. <laughs> and you just keep going. That's, listen, that's not repentance. And some of you, maybe, maybe, maybe you got wet, but you never turned and followed. See it all the time. You just simply keep going in the same direction. Some of you believe that you can actually be a Christian without repenting and without following Jesus. All you have to do is tell him you're sorry. Listen, that's not the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that we get a treasure, namely Jesus. We actually say, I'm willing to forsake all that to possess him. I want him. I'm turning around. I'm going after him. He's the only one who can save. He's the only one that can satisfy. He's the only one that can bring me back to God. I'm going to turn and I'm going to follow Jesus. Let me illustrate how repentance works. I don't know if there's a good illustration for this, but this is, this is what I got. So I didn't become a Christian until I was 21 years old. And so I, there was a time in my life that uh, I was following my own uh, desires, and I'm so glad that, that God was patient with me. I'm so thankful. Like, like for me, when I became a Christian, it's not like all the lights in the house went on. 
right? And all of a sudden, I didn't have any struggles or any problem, no temptation. I just did that thing. No, for me, it was kind of like a light that went on, but there was still a lot of darkness in the house, and I needed God to illuminate some other things in my life, and he was patient with me. I am so thankful for that patience. Anybody else? Right? And so what happened is, is I, I saw Jesus, and I was like, okay, that's what I want, but he still worked on me. And I just remember, before I started following Jesus, I was following my own desires. And one of those desires in my life was a girl named Stephanie. That's my wife, by the way. Now, here, here's the deal. Unfortunately, at that time, when I met Stephanie, when I began to know Stephanie, I had a girlfriend who wasn't Stephanie. Okay, you're following me now. Okay, so now all of a sudden, I thought, you're the one that I want. You're the one I want. Right? So I thought, I thought, I don't know why I do that. I'm sorry. So, so I could have, I could have said, Stephanie, like, I, I, you're the one that I want to spend my life with. Like, you're the one that, that I truly desire to be with. So why don't you just come and let me introduce you to this other girl, and we can just be happy together. <laughs> See, you laugh at that. But is that not what we do? So here's, here's the deal. I saw her as the most beautiful, like the thing that I really desired. And I said, okay, I need to turn around. I need to go that way and stop going this way. I needed to forsake other friends, other lovers, other pursuits. I needed to stop that pursuit and actually say, okay, this is the one that I truly desire. Right? And so, and so what happens in repentance is when we see the Lord as most beautiful, as the one that we truly treasure more than anything else, in our joy, we'd be willing to sell it all and say, no, I don't want that. I want this. That's what I want. That's what my heart desires. That's what repentance looks like. And the problem is so many people have never turned around. Never turned around. And, and, and I'm telling you, I'm asking you, have you ever turned around? Have you truly ever repented and didn't ask Jesus just to follow you, but actually say, no, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I'm going to turn from that. See, when you see Jesus so great, he would say, God, I want you. Now listen, listen, hear me, because this repentance thing, listen, it happens over our entire lives, does it not? I'm so thankful for his patience even still. Because there's areas, there's snippets of things that I have my eyes on, I have my pursuit on. And then I hear the gospel, I'm reminded through the Holy Spirit that that's not what I want, he's what I want. And so I'm constantly, daily, or weekly, repenting and saying, okay, okay, this, this I fix my eyes on, I fix my heart on, but God, I want you, Holy Spirit, help me follow him, help me follow Jesus, and I repent, and I turn away from that, and I say, Jesus, you're more valuable, you're, you're more precious to me than that. It doesn't even need to be sin. It could be good things that are robbing your affections for him. And so it's something that happens over our entire lives. Listen, which is why I'm still thankful for his patience, his patience with me, his long suffering with me. Now, the, the text doesn't stop there because it actually says, 
What shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be what? Baptized. Repent and be baptized. So why doesn't Peter separate those two things out? Why doesn't he just say repent? And then later come back and say, oh, you you should be baptized. He says repent and be baptized. Scripturally, they seem to go together. Why do I point this out? Because some of you have been baptized and never turned around. And some of you, maybe you have turned around, but you've never been baptized. Never been baptized. So, So some of you probably are like, well, what does it matter? I mean, really, what, what does it matter? Does baptism save you? Well, I just want to answer it biblically. Turn to 1 Peter 3. If you don't want to turn there, I've got, I got it up here on the screen. 1 Peter 3, verse 18. Does baptism save you? Look at verse 18. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Now that is overcoming the first obstacle, which means God is not no longer hostile toward us because he absorbed the wrath of God. He took on sin for himself. He died for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that's you and me, and he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made live in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah. You know who Noah is. Noah's the dude with the boat, right? So the rains, the floods came, Noah built the ark, they got on the ark. So like in that day, in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Verse 21, baptism which corresponds to this, this passing through the water, now saves you. That's what it says. But not, let me explain, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal. Everyone say appeal. This word appeal, it means to make a pledge. It means to respond. That's what it means. So not like like you're washed, like, the, like washing dirt off, but rather as an appeal, as a pledge, as a response to God for a good conscience the, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, it seems to say that baptism saves you, but right after that, he clarifies. He says, no, it doesn't save you like it washes you physically. It's not what it does. He, he, he goes on to say, it, it's, not, it's not like it's magic water that somehow washes your outside clean. And it's not this water that's like been blessed, it's like holy, right? It, it's not like a physical cleansing. But he says, in your pledge to God, that's what's happening in baptism. When you're baptized, you are making a pledge, an appeal, a response that you're making to God in that moment, which, listen, saves you. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, which is why, listen, the Bible doesn't separate out repentance and baptism. I'm turning from my ways, I'm following God, and I'm making a pledge. What's the pledge? Baptism. 
baptism. That's what it says. The Bible doesn't separate it out. You make a pledge to God, you're baptized and you're saved, which is the symbol that he uses by passing through water. He says, like in the days of Noah. He says, you know Noah? He built the ark. When the wrath of God came, there were eight people who were saved. They were not saved by anything else but simply climbing into the ark. That's what happens. And baptism, it represents the response of you climbing into the ark. It represents your response climbing into the vessel of salvation, which is Jesus Christ. That's our vessel. He is ark. That's why that ark back there, Christ, is our ark. He is the salvation that we pledge. Baptism represents the pledge that I am by faith climbing into Jesus and accepting his work on my behalf so that I would be saved. I'm appealing that to God. I'm appealing that publicly. I'm making the pledge. I am going forth, and I am responding that Jesus saves. That's why he says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you for the forgiveness of sins in other words, turn to Christ. Pledge your life to Christ. Give your life to Christ. Make an appeal to God. Appeal yourself and say, I am giving my life to Jesus. That's what happens when you are baptized. Some of you, you may have been baptized as a child, maybe an infant. But really, there was no repentance. There's no confession. You didn't really turn from your ways. There's, there's really no pledge to God in that moment. Now, maybe your parents are making a pledge for you on your behalf, saying, I pledge to hope that one day this, this child will follow God. And, and so when you're baptized, you are not only saying, I'm turning from my ways and following Jesus, but when you're baptized, you're making a pledge that what your parents wanted for you is actually coming to fruition. I'm making the pledge. Jesus is my Savior. And, and some of you, you're hearing, you're saying, that is exactly my story. Eric, what should I do? I'm glad you asked. Repent, be baptized, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's that simple. Repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. Now, now listen, there, there is another promise here. He says, repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. Listen, it's inseparable from the other two. Receiving the Holy Spirit is inseparable from repentance and baptism. Well, let's talk about that. Let's think about that. Listen, if you're not willing to repent and you're not willing to actually turn and follow Jesus, if, if all you want is Jesus to be your get-out-of-hell-free card, if all you want is Jesus to punch your ticket so that you can pass through the gates and you never really intend to follow him, let me ask you, why would you want the Holy Spirit? Why would you want that? And do some tricks or something? Huh? Like if your intention is never really to repent and turn and never really pledge yourself to God, why would you need the Holy Spirit? You see, a vital part to your repentance, a vital part to you making your pledge before God and you following Jesus is receiving a new heart and receiving the Holy Spirit. That's how it works. 
You see, the Holy Spirit is the one that allows you to turn. The Holy Spirit is the one that actually empowers you to follow Jesus. We cannot, will not, won't follow Jesus on our own. Listen, and some of you have been white-knuckling your way, trying to live this Christian life without the Holy Spirit. You're just saying, okay, I did some things. I'm trying to turn my own way. I'm trying to make this pledge on my own. And you need the Holy Spirit. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. They're not inseparable. The Holy Spirit allows you to turn. The Holy Spirit allows you to follow. And the Holy Spirit not only allows you to hate the penalty of sin, it allows you to hate your sin. That's what it does. It opens your eyes. It opens your heart to see this is not good. He's good. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit allows you to turn from it, to see Jesus as the most beautiful. Listen, we actually need a new heart, the treasure. Like, we need the treasure. Jesus bought the treasure so that we could have the treasure, a new heart. He says, repent, turn, follow, make the pledge, follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. You're going to need the Holy Spirit to do that. So when you make that pledge, you receive the Holy Spirit. And thanks be to God that he gives us the Spirit. And he says, that promise, that new heart, it's for everyone. Isn't that good news? It's for everyone. It's for you, and it's for your children, and it's for everyone whom the Lord will call to himself. You're going to need the Spirit. It's not separate. You need him to follow Jesus. Repent. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Receive the Holy Spirit. You cannot separate out what Jesus has done for you and what God wants to do in you. They're the same thing. They go hand in hand. Now, as the band comes, I know some of you may be asking the question, Eric, what do I do? Well, let me, let me just tell you, repent and be baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what we should do. And some of you are saying, but Eric, what if I've been baptized, but I've never repented? I've never actually turned. I've just continued to go my same way. I mean, I, mean, I got wet, but I've continued to go down that path. Let, let, me just, let me just ask you a question then. What were you pledging the day that you were baptized? What were you making the appeal for? What were you saying in that moment? Were you making a pledge to God? Listen, I would say you need to repent. You need to be baptized. And you need to receive the Holy Spirit. Some of you ask, what if, what if I've turned and followed, but I've never been baptized? Here's an answer. Repent and be baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what you should do. And some of you, some of you are saying, I don't, I don't know. Listen, the beautiful thing about Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit is that he gives you the strength to turn. He gives you the strength to make the pledge. It's already paid for. He gives you the power of the Holy Spirit to actually love him and see him most beautiful. And listen, that increases day by day. And you're saying, maybe my love for God is not very big. Listen, do you believe in him? Do you trust him? Have you come to him by faith? Do you want to make a pledge to say, I need Jesus? Then I would say, repent and be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. Many of you, you say, okay, Eric, what if 
I've turned and I followed Jesus. I've repented. I've been baptized. I've been given a new heart. And now I listen to the Holy Spirit lead me and guide me. Then your response this morning is simply this. God, what do we do? Just open-handedly. God, what should I do? What should I do now? And listen, God says in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. What happens when you repent and are baptized and receive the Holy Spirit? What happens then? You become a witness. You get to You get to leave the 99 and share with everyone. There is a treasure. He's both Lord and Christ. And the promise is for you. It's for everyone who the Lord God. You you go and you say, come and celebrate what God's doing. Come and see. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Come and see that what was lost, God has found. What was dead, God is making alive through Jesus and the Spirit. Come, let us be witnesses. But let us not be stagnant. Let us be a church that is constantly led to the power of God to glorify God with all that we are. Let's pray for that.